Good evening and welcome to each one. Welcome to this uh, uh, unique service, I guess. Kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I think. It's a, a good uh, opportunity to hear Sam speak about his experience. Let's begin with 830. Number 830, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Number 830. Five hundred ninety-four. Five hundred ninety-four. Sweet are the promises. 
Glad to have Sam Stelsis with us tonight. I don't know about the rest of you, but I almost feel like I have a kinship with Sam. We invested so much time in prayer for you, brothers down in Haiti, that they almost seem like part of our family. You know what I mean? Prayed for them almost every day for so long that they almost seem like part of our family. And maybe we didn't really meet any of them. I know Sam's somewhat related to us and some more in the church here, but we're glad to have him bring his story here tonight. And of course, what we want is glory to good to God and we are thankful that God has a testimony like this for him to share and we're going to give our time over to Sam I think he's going to have most of the evening I'll get up at the end and uh, I told him he can go over over time doesn't matter we don't go to bed till 10 o'clock anyhow right so we'll let him talk as long as he wants all right Sam you'll get up here and I'll pray for you father we want to thank you for the privilege of having Sam here with us Lord, we consider him one of our own. For sure, he's a brother in Christ with us. And we just pray that you be with him as he tells his story. Lord, I pray that you would get all the glory. We think of the country of Haiti again tonight, Lord. We are 
yeah, feel sorry for our brothers down there, Lord, and their suffering. And I just pray that you would help them to remain strong. Lord, we ask for a revival among that country. And we, we know, Lord, you can change things around there, Lord. And I don't know how you want us to do that. But I pray, Lord, that you would give us um, wisdom in knowing how to best reach out to this country and meet its needs in its time of terribleness and destruction and hatred and all that. I pray that you would bless Sam as he speaks, give him a clear mind, clear thoughts, and I pray that all blessing be good to you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Good evening. I count it a blessing and a privilege to be gathered together with you in this way tonight, just to share with you what the Lord has done for us. And truly, God can receive all the honor and glory for, for delivering us from the hands of the kidnappers in Haiti. Thank you for your prayers. I feel like there were hundreds, thousands, possibly millions of people praying all across the world, praying for us. During the time of our captivity there in Haiti. And I feel like God can receive a lot of honor and glory through that. The church of Jesus Christ just coming together and banding together in such a powerful way. And I just want to thank you for those prayers. God has answered those prayers in a mighty way. And I can testify of that here tonight. Uh, by way of introduction, I first arrived in Haiti in August of 2016 to start working for Christian Aid Ministries as the school program director. And my first term came to an end. I served two different terms. The first term came to an end in March of 19, and I was at home for nearly two years when I felt God's call to return back to Haiti in a very powerful way, in a very clear way. And so I went back to Haiti a little over a year ago, towards the end of 2021. So the total amount of time spent in Haiti was just over two years. I know we already sang two songs, but I wonder if we could sing another one, the song, Try God, Try Prayer, Try Love. It's a song we sang, I, I believe, almost every day as we were in captivity there in Haiti. Uh, let's just sing together here. Maybe you could just stand and we'll sing together, Try God, Try Prayer, Try Love. If it seems that the world is on your shoulders, while sinking beneath the hill you're trying to climb, just ask the Lord to come and be your Savior, and He'll part with you all the time. Try God,
may be seated. Try God when the way grows weary that you've trod. Try prayer when the load is heavy that you bear. Let's try love. Show the world around us that we care. Let's try love. Try prayer. Try God. It works. Tonight, prayer works. Try God. Weary when you when you're at the end of your rope, when you can't go on, when it seems like you can't take another step ahead. But don't just wait until then. Try him even before you get to that point because God works. Tonight I want to tell the Haiti kidnapping story and how God delivered us. But today, as I look across our our homes, our schools. Our churches, the youth groups, our nation, and the world that we live in today. I see a much worse kidnapping taking place. Satan has people kidnapped. As you look at people around you, it's easy to see that they're kidnapped. They're in bondage to sin. Yeah, maybe some of you didn't know that I was actually kidnapped twice. Yeah. The worst kidnapping. The first kidnapping was much worse than the second. Satan had me kidnapped. I was dead. I was lost in trespasses and sins. Satan had chains on me. Those chains were binding me and they had me bound so tight I thought I would never get free. But do you know what happened? Jesus came in. Jesus came in. I cried, Jesus, Savior, have mercy on me. And Jesus came in with his arms of love, mercy, and grace. And he pulled me out of the miry clay. Oh, I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful shore. But Jesus brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock. He established my goings. I'm no longer the same man I used to be. Where do you stand tonight? Because Satan is still in the kidnapping business. He doesn't care how low he can get you to fall. He doesn't care. He makes sin look so appealing, so good. He offers all kinds of pleasures, all kinds of lustful thoughts and desires. But do you know what happens? He leaves you hanging, empty and broken. With all kinds of bondage and chains binding you. It's like the song goes, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. But do you know what? The good news here tonight. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. God is in the redeeming business. That's the good news. The message of salvation He pulled me out of the pits of sin and transformed me into his child. No longer to wander out there lost in the pits of sin. 
I'm standing firmly tonight on the rock of Jesus Christ. And I believe there's some of you sitting here tonight that have had that experience. You can testify of having that experience. And if you, you haven't yet, you can have that same experience today. Ephesians 2.1 And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, if you're sitting here tonight, and you're still living in sin, you are by nature the children of wrath, even as others. God is going to look at your life, and he's going to pronounce judgment. Why would God pronounce judgment? It's because he can't tolerate sin. He's a holy God. But God, and verse 4, but God. And oh, I love that but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, are ye saved. You can repent tonight if you're still in bondage, if you're still kidnapped by Satan. You can repent and experience that mercy, love, and grace that only comes. It's only available through Jesus Christ. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us. Through Christ Jesus, for by grace are ye saved. Through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Where do you stand tonight? I don't know. You don't know when you're going to take your last breath. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to face the judgment? Are you still kidnapped or are you living in sin or have you experienced, have you received the salvation that's only available through Jesus Christ? And oh, the good news is that God loves us. The plan of salvation is written in love. He has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, to set us free. As Jesus hung there on the cross, he suffered, he bled and died for you and me. Oh, Jesus didn't deserve to die. He was the spotless Lamb of God. You, tonight sitting here, you deserve to die. And go to hell. You, you deserve to suffer eternal damnation, separated from God for the terrible sins that you've committed. I deserve to die and go to hell and spend an eternity in hell tonight. But oh, the good news Jesus took our place. As he hung there, he suffered, he bled and died for you and me. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to set us partly free. Not just free from some of our sins, but completely, totally free. 
John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Have you experienced all, all things becoming new in your life? Romans 8.1 Therefore, there, I'm sorry, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Romans 8.13 says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye lit through the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Jesus said in Luke 21, 33, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. God's word has stood the test of time. It has stood and it will continue to stand throughout eternity. Hebrews 4, 12 through 16, For the word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is manif not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the, into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. In other words, let's hang on to what we've got. And oh, I'm amazed as I see young people Growing up in Anabaptist homes, conservative Amish and Mennonite homes, and what are they doing? It seems like they're growing up and they're just throwing it all out. Their heritage. Our heritage is precious. Jesus has died on the cross for our sins to redeem us. Let's hang on to the Christian faith. Let's hang on to what we have, our heritage. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. And this yet without sin is what qualified Jesus to be that perfect, that perfect sacrifice for sin. As he hung there, he suffered, he bled and died for you and me. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that whosoever will may come. And that whosoever, it's good for you and me tonight. It's good for the gangster lost down there in Haiti. Lost in trespasses and sins. It's good for Putin over there in Russia dropping bombs for, on Ukraine. It's good for whosoever will may come. And I praise God for that tonight. And one thing we did as missionaries in Haiti is simply spend time preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's a good news of, of salvation 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And as Christians, we must make it a lifestyle. We must share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a good news unto salvation. In Haiti, we preach to neighbors, professionals, and gangsters alike. I remember early on last year, we would go to the local town. This was before the kidnapping. We would go to the local town of Titian, and we would preach to the gangs in Haiti. Was it difficult work? Of course it was. It wasn't uncommon for those gangsters to pull guns on you. And in fact, they did. They pulled guns on Barry Grant, the director down there, multiple times. But some of the times in particular that stand out to me were the times when we were there in that little pavilion. It was like a rusty tin roof with sticks, basically twigs sticking up to hold the roof up, and tarps, old tarps flapping in the breezes. And the leader of that gang is sitting there, on, sitting there on one of those rickety wooden benches. And as we preach, there's big tears rolling down his cheeks. He's under conviction. And as far as I know, that gang leader never accepted Jesus. He never repented of his sins. But oh, the good news. He got to hear the good news. Seventeen missionaries kidnapped in Haiti, Saturday, October 16, 2021. I never dreamed of being kidnapped in Haiti. Rob, no problem. They'll rob you. And in fact, there was uh, one of our staff members, Curtis Stolzfus. I think some of you know him here tonight. They go to Peckway Church. He came down and was working with the mission there in Haiti for ten months and during that time, he was robbed at gunpoint twice. So they will rob you, but I had never heard of, being kid, of people kidnapping. I knew there were kidnappings happening every day, but I never dreamed of them kidnapping a big group of Americans. And as far as I know, they had never done so up until this time. Haiti is a country that is wracked by political chaos, corruption in the government, poverty, illiteracy, superstition, and yes, outright Satan worship. It's terrible. Many populated areas are currently being overtaken by gangs. When I arrived in Haiti for the first time back in August of 2016, the United Nations had a strong peacekeeping force in Haiti. The entire force with military, police, and operations comprised of up to 10,000 people. It seemed like they were everywhere. You couldn't drive the streets of Port-au-Prince without seeing them. The UN missions started in 2004. During the next 15 years, these missions created a somewhat artificial sense of security in Haiti. After the mission ended on October 15, 2019, it left a power vacuum that gangs like the Katsan Mawozo, who kidnapped us, were eager to fill. 
This is a photo of the active gang leader who kidnapped us. Here, this news banner right here says, La Mosanju Menace Pultoi Missioneo. Literally translated, this would say, Death Without Days, which was the nickname of the acting gang leader, Death Without Ever Waking Up Again, threatens to kill the missionaries. On this video from YouTube, which I watched part of that video, he says, and I quote, this was during the time that, he was, that we were in captivity there in Haiti. What I need from the hands of the Americans, I still haven't found. I'd rather kill them. I have no problem with putting a bullet into each one of their heads. Who was kidnapped? Welcome to the CAM base, Tita and Haiti. This is the Ray Noecker family. Here's a photo of the Noecker family taken right after the kidnapping. His wife, Cheryl, and all of his children pictured here on this photo were kidnapped with us. Ray himself was not kidnapped. He stayed back that morning uh, to prepare. This was a Saturday morning. He was preparing for the communion service, which we were planning for the very next day. You can only imagine the anguish that he must have went through knowing that his wife and five children are kidnapped by the hands of a Haitian gang. Barry and Joya Grant family, this is the administrator's family, they were not kidnapped with us. Barry spent two months of anguish and utter reliance on God as he was bombarded with phone calls or visits from gangsters, U.S. Embassy, FBI, Haitian police, lawyers, news media, and prospectors alike. You can only imagine what he must have gone through as he tried to sort through all of that. Ryan Corver family, Ryan and Melody, along with their children, Andre, age three, and Laura, age eight months at the time of the kidnapping. They were kidnapped with our group. And here's a photo of the whole group of 17 who were kidnapped, minus Ray Noecker. He was there just holding his son, Sheldon. This is a Google Earth photo of the CAM base. So on the morning of the 16th, we gathered together. We were just gone off for a good time at an orphanage. We were planning to update the profiles of the orphan children and take photos and get information. And so we didn't get out a whole lot, especially nowadays. It's a little, little harder to get around in Port-au-Prince especially. And, but we were excited about the day, excited about the opportunity, and we gathered together there at the shop the morning of the 16th of October and had a word of prayer, and we piled into our short-nosed bus it was like a Toyota bus and a van, 15-passenger van, and off we were. This is somewhat the journey of the kidnapping. So here you have Christian Aid Ministries, and down here is Gonchir, where the orphanage was located. And right here is about the area where they kidnapped us, they took us off the road. And then we were moved to this. This was our first location 
And then at one point, they moved us to a second location, which was right there, about a mile away as the crow flies. And then eventually, we were moved back to the original location. So that's where we escaped out of. We went cross-country through the fields and around the lake and up into here and then eventually back down to here. And that's where we were picked up on the road then. This is the orphanage in Ganchir. So we had a really enjoyable time there. Um, we updated the pictures and some of the children were out some of our group was out playing a lively game of soccer there in the courtyard and just had a really good time. And before we left, they were very, very graciously offered some fried plantains and fried chicken, just some good Haitian food and some cold sodas before we left. And this was now nearing one o'clock, so it was, you know, we were hungry, but we had something to eat and, and off we were. <clears throat> About 10 minutes on the road, suddenly up ahead, Dale was driving. Dale's a Canadian who had only spent about two months in Haiti with us there. And I was tucked in the corner of the van. So I'm going to tell the story from my perspective. It should be fairly close to what the other reports are. Um, but it was Dale and then Wesley Yoder, the mechanic, and the girls were in some of the farther front seats, and typically that's the way we rolled. It was just easier for the girls to get in and out, and so we, we get up to this intersection right here, and somewhere I saw an ambulance, and yes, it was a real ambulance. Like the gang had hijacked this ambulance or stolen it from a, a clinic or a hospital or something. And so my initial reaction right at, the, right at the moment was, oh, these men are the Haitian police because they had big guns and the Haitian police had big guns. But typically they're in uniform and then suddenly it dawned on me, no, this is the gang. We're in a hot area. I thought the... the Initially, I thought the police were there clearing the road or something, but I realized this is gangsters. And so they were running down the road towards us, and Dale said, oh, what should I do? And Wes said, well, turn around. So we swung a U-turn right there on the road, and now we're heading south, the, the, back towards the orphanage. And we weren't sure how are we getting back north to where we want to go, because in Haiti, you really don't have many good road options. So, but at least we're getting away from the gang. And as we're accelerating, suddenly we notice there's a pickup truck load with gangsters on the back, and they're coming after us. They're coming towards us. And our van couldn't drive as fast as their pickup, so they were gaining on us. And now they're coming around the left-hand side. But I'm thinking, great, they're they're gone after someone else. You know, in Haiti, you pass people. It's common. It happens all the time. So I just thought they're going after someone else. Suddenly, we stopped short. We nearly T-boned them right there. And now we're looking down the barrels of big guns, M16s, AK-47s, military assault rifles. And let me tell you something. When you're looking down the barrels of guns, your heart is pounding, and it's like you're at their mercy. You don't know if they're going to pull the triggers. 
And we were crying out to God, Lord, help us. Lord, protect us. Lord, be with us. And pretty soon they motioned for us with their guns. They motioned for us to turn around again. And so we turned around and now we're heading north. And we were just like, oh, thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, they're just letting us go. God is already answering our prayers. And so we were on our way up through there, and they had moved that ambulance down here and were parked broadside across the road. And they stopped us again right there they, at gunpoint. And now they motioned for us to make a right-hand turn onto this little side road. It was like a cattle chute. It was a very narrow road, and up ahead of us was a, was a box truck. And so we, we made that right-hand turn, and my heart sank. And we didn't know, all this time, we didn't know what's going on. Kidnapping may have crossed our mind, but we were thinking more likely robbery or something. And so we stopped behind that box truck, and up ahead of us was another box truck. And unknown to us, ahead of that was a white Prado SUV-type vehicle. It was the gang leader's. We later learned it was the gang leader's vehicle. So we stop there, and they come running, running down the sides of the van. Guns, guns, give us your guns, all your guns. Guns. We don't have guns. Guns, give us your guns, where are your guns, all your guns. Guns. We don't have guns. We serve Jesus. God is our protector. Well, then, finally, they believed us, and sat there for probably 10 or 15 minutes, and they were just real low-key robbing us, just taking a little bit of cash and maybe a phone or two here and there. But we sat there for 10 or 15 minutes, and slowly we start moving. They came in behind us with the ambulance, and the caravan starts moving down this road. And we made a left-hand turn right here. And the road widened in front of us, and I think they thought we could you know, try to turn around or just try to get away. So they came running up from behind the ambulance, pulled open the driver's side door, grabbed Dill, pulled him out of the vehicle, smacked him across the face, and Dill was stunned, and they grabbed him and loaded him face down in the back of the ambulance. And we're just crying out, Lord, save Dill! Lord, help Dill! And we didn't know if we were going to see Dale again. And now a gangster jumps in our vehicle, puts it in drive, and we go on one of the wildest rides of our lives. I was hanging on, braced up with all I could hold on to, and our heads were hitting the ceiling multiple times. We bottomed out one time, and I was sure we were going to have an accident, and I was about half hoping we would. I just figured having an accident would be better than all this chaos. At least we would have to, you know, stop and face reality and think about life or something. But our dry, and right here he is, La Mont Sanju, Death Without Day, Wilson Joseph, the acting gang leader. He's the most wicked man I have ever met in my life. On one of the phone calls, With Barry Grant, the director, the administrator, he said, I serve King Lucifer. I serve King Satan. It's terrible. 
And I have never met so many men. We witnessed to them boldly during the time of our captivity. We're telling them about the love of Jesus. And they look at you in the eye and they tell you, I worship Satan. There's almost nothing more terrible than that. It makes the chills run up and down your spine. It's almost like you're not even talking with a real person. But you know what? Jesus died on the cross for Wilson Joseph's life. He shed his blood. He suffered. He bled and he died. And oh, I long to see the day when these men repent of their sins and turn around and find Jesus. And oh, I believe it's possible. I believe it's possible. The work of prayer is not over. Pray for Wilson Joseph. Pray for the gangs. Pray that God would turn them from the darkness to the light. And oh, during the time of our captivity, we would just pray, Lord, turn the tables. Lord, just may this area be, become your place. And here's another photo of him with two assault rifles and two pistols tucked in his shorts. So they, our drive ended, up, ended in this parking lot. It was a big area here, and we were lined up there. And we sat there for a long time, probably half hour, 30 minutes. And now was, was their party time. We were back in their hood, back in their neck of the woods, and they were comfortable. And they brought out the cigarettes and alcohol and possibly drugs, and they were just eyeing us up, just looking us up and down. And you could kind of see the wheels turning in their minds. How can we use a group of 17 white people? Men, women, children. And there we were, and we were scared, and we were praying and singing and crying out to God, and we had, we had some of these uh, Flambo Verite. It's, this book, by the way, has become very precious to me. It's the Creole version of The Torch of Truth. And it has a very powerful story in here called Yon Wos Kolebla. And I would encourage you, I don't think I'll have time to read this story here tonight, but there's copies in the back. Very powerful conversion story in here. And this has become very precious to me. It was about the only literature that we had for the two months of captivity. And the sad thing was we didn't have our Bibles, so we felt very, very dry, especially by the time our captivity was over. But I was about the only one who could read this book. Um, I know Haitian Creole, and there were possibly two others that could benefit a little bit from it as well. But we were there for a long time, and we're thinking, surely, soon this ordeal has to come to an end. And after a while... Uh, they, a gangster jumps in our vehicle and puts it in drive. And we go driving down this, this road right here. And I'm thinking, this is not the way we came in. But hopefully, surely, this road loops around and pretty soon we'll be out to the main road and we'll be on our way. But it was not to be. We pulled up to this area right here. And came to a stop, and there were two men, as we pulled up there, there were two men in this room. They were Haitians, and they were tied hand and foot. And they moved them to the back side of the devil's house. This building right here, we later found out they call the devil's house. Like, that's where they practice voodoo. And 
to their Satan worship. But they moved those men out here on the backside of this house. And later on that night, we heard two gunshots in rapid succession. And as far as I know, we never saw those men again. So there we sat. And we sat there for a long time again. Probably another half hour, 45 minutes. And this is now two to three hours after we came off the road. And I'm thinking, what next? And all this time, I was kind of comfortable just to be in the little nook of the, of the van. But I, I figured it's time to start talking. And since I know the most, knew the most Haitian Creole in our group, it was kind of natural that I would be the one to talk. So I came out of the nook, and there he stood, La Sanju. And I think the guy they called Dizium Chef was right there too. And I said, hey. And at this point, they had taken all of our phones and all of our wallets. They demanded them. And we handed them over, except I thought they had taken all of our cash. Actually, we kept our wallets, but they took the cash out of them. We kept like our credit cards and so on. So uh, Matt Miller was actually able to save a little bit of cash, like $7.50 or something like that. And he was able to tuck it away. And I believe God somehow had that in his plan because it came very useful during the time of our escape. And I, hopefully I can have some time to get into that later on. Uh, so there we sat for a long time and I, I got out of my corner and I, I was talking to the chief of the gang. I said, hey, look, you took our phones, you took our wallets, our cash. What more can you take, please? Can you let us go? I was just trying to reason with him. And at that point, he shook his head. He said, give us $3 million and we'll let you go. I'm thinking, what? $3 million? Like, I was thinking, like, you, you expect us to have a big box of money in the back of our van with $3 million? Like, I said, we don't have $3 million. He said, give us $3 million and we'll let you go. $3 million. I said, we don't have $3 million. And besides, we work for a mission. We work for God. We don't have $3 million of God's dollars to give you. And at that point, he said, well, okay then. And pretty soon, they started taking the girls out of the front of the van and lining them up there in, in front of the devil's house. And I thought, we're all coming out of the van. And then was when we started fearing for the girls. They Suddenly it dawned on me, it was just a pause, like 30 seconds to a minute. And, and it dawned on me, they're trying to take the girls out of the van and keep us men inside the van. And we just cried out, Lord, save the girls, Lord, help the girls. And they started undressing themselves. And, and finally I was like, get out of the van, everybody, out of the van. And so... I came, we were, they were trying to keep us in there, but we were coming out of the van. And I came around and I stood first in line in between the gang leader and, and the girls. And we were singing and praying and crying out to God. We were singing the song, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And as we were standing there, they said, hush the singing, hush the singing. And we hushed the singing just a little bit, but kind of kept on singing. 
And the gang leader pulls out his phone and says, this is a final video for this group of people. What a final video. So what, what does that mean? And I thought the next thing that was going to happen is that they just execute us right there. We didn't know what was coming next. And so after, pretty soon then he motions me to, to go inside this little room. And I thought at this point, at this point Dale was with us, the Canadian, the driver was back with our group, but I thought they were going to try to separate us or I didn't know what was coming next. But I didn't know what to do and I, I paused a little bit and finally I just walked into the room. And inside this room was a mattress and some sheets and I looked Suddenly, I looked behind me and realized we're all coming into the room. And so we, we went inside that room, and we sat in a tight circle. And there was another room. This was a two-room house. The other room had 11 other hostages inside that room. There were a different group that was kidnapped there. And so we were all in the room, and finally, they shut the door. Finally. There was a little bit of peace. We knew a couple things. Number one, we're kidnapped. There's no doubt about it. Number two, God is on our side. We could feel God's presence right there with us. And I believe God protected us. And I believe there were probably hundreds of people already praying for us there. But it was a terrible place to be. Those walls inside this room had dried blood splattered on them. There were bullet marks, bullet dents in the walls where bullets had struck the walls. And all around this place was just trash and garbage littered all around. And it was the ghetto. It was just a terrible place to be. But there we were. And we did a lot of spiritual warfare there, especially the first week and, or two weeks while we were there. Those men worship Satan, and I still don't understand to this day why God allowed it, but it was during the night, it was as if the children would become demon-possessed, literally. Their chests would seize up, and they would just scream. And we would cry out, Lord, help us. Lord, deliver us. God, in the name of Jesus. And he did. God came, and he healed, and he touched. And, but we did more praying and more singing there that first week than I have ever done in my life. And almost every evening I would stand outside, on, outside this house here and I would preach as loud as I could to whoever would listen and would be around there and, and hear me preach. And, and by the time the first week was over, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we were trained. It felt like we couldn't put one foot in front of the other. But we still knew God was with us. It was exhausting. And you know what? Tonight, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against satanic forces. And I think it's time the church, the church of Jesus Christ wakes up to this reality. And some areas, it's a lot worse than others. You know, in Haiti, it's like the demonic presence is so real. But I believe it's here. It's a battle in the mind. You know, a battle against good and evil, a battle against Satan. It's not a battle 
of physical earthly forces. And Mackinson was a clean-shaven man. He came up one of the next days, and he introduced himself as a Christian. He said, I'm a third party. I'm not a part of this gang. And he said, I'm the town runner. You know, if, if you need anything, toilet paper, toothpaste, whatever, you know, I'm the one to go and get it. And, you know, I don't want to misrepresent this story in any way. They tried to take good care of us while we were there. As good care of us as what can be expected and even dreamed of, of during a time in captivity. The next, that, that first evening there, there was a man who came in and, and he could speak almost perfect English. And I don't understand all the politics behind that. But he said, yeah, we're going to bring you food and water and, and cold drinks. We'll bring you an igloo and we're going to bring snacks from market. And so the next day they showed up with cookies and bread and peanut butter and Reese's cups, ice cream in the hot sunshine. I couldn't even believe it. I, we were just stunned. And they, they brought us so much food that it was to us it was almost disgusting because it was enough to last a week and a half. And I thought, surely we're not going to be staying here much longer. We have to leave. We can't stay here. And it was like, it was as if they, the gang wanted to take good care of us, but keep us there until all their demands are met. And eventually, till it was all said and done, there actually was a ransom even paid. Yeah, they had paid a ransom. We were all supposed to have been ransomed out. But after the ransom was paid, the gang changed the terms and said that this this the founder of the gang who's been in prison since 2015 in a Haitian prison has to be released in exchange for, for us, for the Americans. They knew they had a high-profile case on their hands. And we thought there that first week, we thought, surely, this can't last for more than a week. We were expecting the U.S. military helicopters to come swooping in there at any time to rescue us, but it was not to be. And the gang thought that this was... This was quick, easy money. I mean, all our demands would be met, and pretty soon they'll be allowed to leave. But no, it did not work that way. And I'm just so thankful tonight that God can receive all the honor and glory for helping us escape. I don't know how long we would have had to stay there. God knows, but oh, God helped us get out of there. And I'm just so thankful for that this evening. God has answered our prayers. <clears throat> So one evening as we were there, the witch doctor's vehicle drove in, Mackinson, the witch doctor, and he had the radio blaring on an evening news channel, and he drove in there, and, and the radio was saying, the U.S. military is coming to Haiti. They're coming to, to rescue the Americans, and we were pumped. I mean, I thought maybe God can use the military to bring us out of there. This was about a week and a half after the kidnapping. And, and you know, the Bible says, I believe God could have used the military. The Bible says they don't bear the sword in vain. They're out to execute justice on the evildoers. But I'm glad that God helped us escape from, from that gangster camp. So they were worried about that. They had brought in a generator and fans and mattresses and and 
basically our showers would consist of, they had a little tarped off shower room here at the end of the house. Our showers, and they brought water in the 50-gallon drums there, and we would fill a five-gallon bucket and rinse off and soap down and just another rinse, and that, that was a shower. Um, but I was in the shower room when the witch doctor drove in there, and I came out and I said, what, did you hear the radio? And Wes said, yeah, yeah, I heard the radio. And they were planning to move us. <clears throat> and so they moved us to this location. It was a much more beautiful location. And it was the middle of the night, and we were moved over here. And there was a, the next morning we went outside, and we were, we're very thankful they never tied us up as they did the other hostages. The other people they tied hand and foot. And we were allowed to somewhat move around freely as long as they kept a good eye on us. And so the next morning we went out the outside of the house and we were looking around and it was a much more beautiful location. There, were, there was a row of coconut trees and a row of mango trees. There were farmers out in the fields cultivating the soil. And had it not been for the circumstances that we were in, I could have lived there. But one morning, this is now probably three or four weeks into the kidnapping, and I was very discouraged. It just, there was no end in sight. And I was needing some time alone with the Lord. And so early one morning, I went outside, and I walked down this row of mango trees, and I stood there at the last mango tree. And I was just crying out to God, Lord, how long? Lord, please deliver us, just... Take us out of here. God, we just can't take much more of this. And as I was standing there, I noticed out of the corner of my eye, the witch doctor's coming down the row of mango trees, and he stopped there close to where I was. And he, there was a black bag there and he re, uh, with a wine bottle, and he reaches down and puts the cork on the wine bottle. And it was a really strange-looking cork. It had, like, wires going through it, and... I wouldn't have even noticed it was there had he not said something. But the next thing he said struck me. He said, this is the devil's stuff. Don't you touch it or it'll bite you. Oh, I didn't say a word, but he walked away and I, I said, Lord. I said, what does, a, what does a Christian do with this kind of information? I said, God, I've... I felt like it was a direct threat from Satan. And I said, God, I feel like you call us as, as your people, as your servants, to get in the way of evil. What should I do? And I was just crying out to God. And so ev eventually I decided, well, I'm going to at least move this bottle because that way he'll know I'm not afraid of it, you know. So I, I just took the bottle away from the tree and moved it out into the field a little bit. And then I went back to the group, and they were getting ready for the morning devotional there, and we typically prayed and sang three times a day, morning um, at one o'clock and again in the evening, and so they were gathered together, gathering together, and I went over there, and I just asked, I told them about what had happened. I just asked them, what should we do? And Austin, who was the, who had been in Haiti for only 24 hours from the time we got kidnapped there. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
I said, what should we do? And he said, well, let's just throw it away. Let's take care of it. I said, okay. I said, do you want, the, do you want to have the honors? And he said, yeah, sure, I'll throw that away. So he walked over there, and I picked up the bag and bottle, and I said, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said, Lord, protect us. Lord, help us. Lord, deliver us. And I handed it over to, to Austin, and he threw it as hard as he possibly could. And from my observation, it hit the ground and burst open, and there was a red liquid that shot out. And I was a little worried about what would come out of that situation, but I felt like we had done the right thing. And I, I just committed it to God. And as the day went by, I felt at peace about it. And later that evening, Mackinson comes walking in, and he's walking down to the last mango tree. And he's like, what? Where's the bottle? What? Did one of you guards move the bottle? Where's the bottle? Sam, yo! Kut bedon. Oh, he's yelling my name. Where's the bottle? I say, oh, we took care of that. It's, we threw it away. What? No, 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 no. And he's coming at me as if for attack. You could just see him becoming demon-possessed. And tonight, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against satanic forces. I knew it's not Mackinson. It's Satan himself. And he was coming in for me as to attack. And I didn't know, I didn't have experience in that kind of spiritual warfare. But I knew one thing. I knew Jesus is stronger than Satan's power. And so I just said, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And you should have seen him. He jerked back as if he'd been hit by a brick. And he'd come in for another attack. And Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And he jerked back and on and on and on. And this, this whole two or three hour ordeal, I thought it was going to last all night long. And finally, he, we were just crying out in the name of Jesus. We were singing and crying out to God, just praying. And, and we didn't know what was going to come out of this. He grabs a shotgun from one of the guards and he's just leaning there on the shotgun and Sometimes we just kept singing and singing and singing and just on and on. And sometimes at a pause in the songs, in the singing, he would yell insults at us and curse us. And, and we just kept on going. And finally, I said, it's, it's time. We just have to face up. Like, we have to go in the house. And they said, okay. And so we started making our way into the house. But he got up and he stands in front of the house door. And he said, Samuel, we have to have this bottle before the light of dawn. Where's the bottle? Give us the bottle. I said, look, we took care of that. He said, Samuel, if you don't show us where this bottle is, we're going to beat you. We're going to kill you. And the camp chief walks over there and he said, Samuel, where's the bottle? Tell us where the bottle is. If you don't tell us where the bottle is, we're going to beat you without stopping until you tell us where it is. And I said, Chief, go ahead. I'm ready for that. And he pulls his gun. He said, Samuel, do you know what this is called? This is called a gun. Do you know what guns can do? And I smiled at him. I said, Chief, I'm not afraid of you. And oh, I thought I was going to go home to be with Jesus that night. I thought I was going to go to my heavenly home. And oh, the joy of heaven. 
But God protected us that night. They were completely powerless against us. And so eventually we were able to go into the house, but that experience kind of left us shaking. But we saw God's power through all of that. So they, why don't we all just stand at this time for a change of position and sing the song, Would You Be Poured Out Like Wine Upon the Altar? And I just want to ask you the question here tonight. Are you willing to stand up and stand out in your generation? Are you willing to stand up for what is right no matter what the cost? Are you willing to be poured out like wine upon the altar for Jesus? Let's sing together. Would you be poured out like wine? Are you willing in this day and age that we live in to be poured out like wine upon the altar, broken like bread to feed the hungry? Are you sold out? Is your life completely, unreservedly laid on the altar for Jesus Christ tonight? This time we had the whole house. They moved us back to this location and they moved all the other prisoners outside. I don't know where they took them, but I'm assuming to the second location. And as we were there the one day, Matt and Rachel became, Matt I should say, became very sick. He has a genetic disorder and his fingers, his limbs literally start to deteriorate and he starts losing his limbs and he needs medication and so the FBI was somehow they were able to bring in a liquid form of his pills that he would typically take and uh, but he had missed like three of his regular he needs an injection as well every two weeks and he missed like three doses of that and I don't know what was going on but he became very sick the one day and he said, oh, I'm feeling sick. I, I wasn't feeling well all morning long. And it hit him so fast. It was at the one o'clock prayer meeting. And he went to use the restroom. And by the time he came back, he could hardly walk anymore. And he went inside the house. And he was laying there on a mattress, sprawled out, shaking from head to toe, uncontrollably. And, and he couldn't walk anymore. And we were scared for Matt. He said, if I have what I think I have. I've had it before, and I could be dead within 24 hours. I think it's sepsis, and it takes medical treatment. I, I need to go to the emergency room, and 
we laid hands on Matt and we prayed. But we also put, started putting pressure on the gang to have him released. And by evening, they were thinking about releasing Matt. They were actually coming in to take a look at him. But his condition had so dramatically improved, it was like God was working a miracle right in front of our eyes. He had so dramatically improved that by the time he was, re- was, they, it was looking hopeful for his release, I said, Matt, you're going to have to look sick. We want you to be able to leave tonight, but you're going to have to look sick really, really good and proper. They're not going to be able, they're not going to release you. They're not going to believe you. And so he said, yeah, I know. I said, Matt, we're going to carry you out. Even if you can walk out to the vehicles, we're going to carry you out. And he said, yeah, I'll let you carry me out because uh, I'm still feeling a little weak. But Time after time, I've never seen the likes, you know, God wouldn't have had to heal us, but time after time, someone was burning a fever. One, one day, Cheryl was so sick, and by the time she was released, Cheryl had like over 50 of these big boils, and what would happen, the, it, the water, our shower water would get underneath the, our skin, the mosquito bites and stuff, and the worms would just eat around at our flesh, and they would heal over like these big boils. And Cheryl was very, very sick the one day, and she, she was in so much pain. She said, oh, I can hardly take this anymore. She was crying, and I think it was all she could do to keep from screaming. And we laid hands on her, and we prayed, and God healed her. By the next day or so, she was almost completely better. And you know, here in the United States, we look, it's like we have resources at our fingertips. We can call, dial 911. We have hospitals. We have a medical system. We, we look here and we look there and we look everywhere except for God to help. But you know what? When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, the Father's full giving has only begun. And I can testify of that tonight. You know, God is ready and willing to to reach out and help his children. Whether it means performing a miracle or whatever. But, you know, we we just ask God. It's not like God has to do that that for us. But in our circumstances, he, he chose to do that time after time. And we often talked about attempting an escape uh, we could see we could see the road route national three as it winds up into the mountains and oh it looked pretty close it looked like two to three miles off in the distance but yet it looked it seems so far and then when we actually during our escape we actually figured out it's more like 10 miles total but sometimes it didn't seem practical to attempt an escape because there were sick people with us. And finally, Matt and Rachel were released, and Cheryl and Kay and Sheldon were released. It was a very traumatic release, uh, very similar to the bottle experience, but they were released. And after that, it seemed a lot more feasible. It just, we didn't have sick people as much, and it just seemed a lot more possible. But the problem was we weren't united and always struggled with unity. I I was like, look, let's just place our trust in God and take a step of faith and get out of here. 
But there was one of the men who told me that he thinks that it takes more faith just to sit here and wait on God like to bring an angel and just miraculously just take us out of there. And I believe God could have done that. But I said, really? Really? I, I was sitting there on a plastic lawn chair and I was comfortable at the time. And I said, really? Does it take more faith just to sit here and wait on God to just woof, come and take us out of here? Or does God want us to put our faith into action, to, to take a step of faith? And allow the results up to him. <clears throat> we were desperate. This was now nearing two months. And we were just crying out to God. We made signs with cardboard and charcoal from the guards' fires. S-O-S. And we need help. And there were airplanes that would circle almost every day. Just circle after circle after circle for hours and so we knew that we had been spotted but it seemed like nothing was happening and Andre was sick Andre the three-year-old he would burn high fevers during the night and seemed he'd get a little better during the day but his his stomach was bloated and he had parasites and we were just desperate we were getting more and more desperate for help and the constant breathing in of secondhand cigarette and drug smoke was terrible. The drinking, the music, and the profanity. I would just cry out, God, help us, deliver us. I can't take this cigarette smoke anymore. We would be in the house at night trying to sleep, and the guards would be sitting here on the porch smoking cigarettes and drugs, and the music would be blaring. And that cigarette smoke would just waft in through the cracks and just gas us out. I mean, we would go try to go low for air, and it was just terrible. And I just said, God, I just can't take this any longer. And the music was terrible. They played rock, rock and rap music. And do you know what happens? Some of those tunes are very catchy tunes. And do you know what happens after you listen to that kind of music for two months? You almost start going with the beat. It's terrible. And I would cry out, God, I can't take this any longer. And I don't know where you're at in this area of music. I wonder. I'm, I'm shocked at what Christians listen to sometimes. Where are you at in this area of music? Is, is the music you listen to bringing honor and glory to God? Or are you digging in the trash can? Are you going to the dumpster for your music? I don't know. Rock music, it's bad. Rap. Pop, country music, you name it. Please consider. Music has tremendous potential for God's kingdom or for Satan's kingdom. <clears throat> Let's strive to listen to good Christian music. So the profanity was terrible. I know Haitian Creole and the language was horrible. And they'd bring in prostitutes. And I said, God, I just can't take this any longer. But we just weren't united in an escape effort. And Monday evening, the week of our escape, there was a beautiful double rainbow in the back, the sign of God's promise. And we were rejoicing. We thought, you know, God just put that rainbow there for us. And that night, it poured down rain. 
It rained hard and it was muddy and mucky all around us. The mud just clung to your feet. And they shooed us into the house early that night. And the house had a very leaky roof. But we were inside there and they brought in more drugs and alcohol than I had seen up to this point. They got stoned that night. And I said, look, the guards are all drunk. Like this is, this is our opportunity. Let's escape. And there were those of us who were, who were on board. We were just pushing to escape. But there were those of us who just said no. Like they were scared or I don't know why. But they just didn't feel it was the right thing to do. And I said, look, here's our chance. Like the guards are all, dr- all drunk. They're not doing their their usual laps around the house and they're not, you know, they're not shining their lights around. And during the night, they would usually bring uh, an additional reinforcements. They would bring about three to five extra guards with really big guns during the night. And I felt like this was an opportunity and we shared together. I said, look, granted, we're going to look like pigs by the time we get out of here. But our, our feet are likely going to be bleeding. But by the time we get out and we, we're, we have a hot shower and we're sitting there on the compound in Titan, we're going to sit there and say this was well worthwhile. But no, we, it was so close, but we just weren't quite united. And I knew if we're not 100% united, this effort just was not going to work. It, things would just not work out. And so... The next day, and this was during the dry season, and we had talked about it, that it would be nice to escape during a rainstorm because people wouldn't be, even the local neighbors wouldn't be out and about. And, and, uh, but no. So that night it poured rain, and the next morning we were very discouraged. And this was the dry season, so it only, it might rain only once a month during this time of the year. So we, we thought we had missed a prime opportunity and that night, the, the generator had run out of oil, and so the fans and the generator wasn't running, and we had talked about it would be nice if the generator would be running and the fans to provide some background noise in, in the event of an escape. But that next morning, I, I went outside of the house, and I looked around, and I didn't see any guards in the immediate area. And this back door right here was barred shut with a, a big split rail fence post. It was a big prop against the door and a, a big rock in front of the door. And so I just grabbed that, that post and moved it a little bit to the left-hand side. I figured if, if it would be a little easier to grab a hold of if we tried op- prying the door op- open. And I didn't know if we would escape or not, but I figured in the event of an escape, and I put it on a slightly steeper angle so hopefully it would slide up the door instead of binding on the door. So, but what that rainstorm did, it was like we could see God already setting the details in place. And our escape was a whole progression of, of small things. It, it, small things, I would call them big things. To us, it was a big deal. But the rainstorm, they had a power strip outside this back door right here. And they would sit there, the guards would sit there during the night charging their phones and Bluetooth speakers. And they took that wiring completely apart. That, that, the rainstorm had partly submerged that 
power strip in, in water. And the next day, I couldn't believe my eyes, but we couldn't believe it. But the chief ordered the guards to take all the wiring apart and move the power strip to the front porch. So they moved it to the front porch. And I, I said, wow, in the event of an escape, this is going to greatly assist us because they're not going to be sitting outside this back door charging their phones and Bluetooth speakers anymore. They're not going to be right there. And so uh, that day went by, and we hardly even talked about escaping because we, we knew we weren't agreed. Uh, Wednesday morning rolls around. It was a clear day without a cloud in the sky. And Ryan was desperate. Ryan Corver, the father of the three-year-old. Andre was burning another fever, and we were just becoming more and more desperate. And that morning, the witch doctor brought in the, the water barrels, w brought water to replenish the barrels, and Wesley got up and, and asked him, hey, can you bring oil for the generator? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll bring the oil. Yeah, no problem, I'll get the oil. But the witch doctor was one of the most forgetful men that I know of. I mean, he forgot everything. We would tell him we, need, we needed toilet paper, and, and he would forget to bring that, and so we'd run out of toilet paper, and we'd start using the baby wipes. And then he'd get angry at us for using the baby wipes, he'd, but he said, why didn't you tell me to bring the toilet paper? Well, so we weren't banking on having oil. It just was a constant battle. And so that morning, Wesley, we decided, we just asked Wes, hey, can you go into the brush and just kind of scout out an area here to see if we could, you know, potentially escape out through the brush, the thicket there. There were vines and thorns. And, and so he entered behind the outhouse, and we had this system. All the guards were congregated in this area right here. We had this system that we used, heads and tails, and we had people stationed from every angle keeping an eye on the guards. And whenever a guard would walk around, we said tails. And tails meant a guard is coming. Heads meant the coast is clear. So Wes went into the brush. And while he was into the brush, Ryan was just discouraged. And he was walking laps in the back area, courtyard there. And he prayed, Lord, if, if it's not your will, you don't want us to just leave out of here. Well, then let Wes come back discouraged and say that it won't work. This, it's just not going to work to escape out through the brush. And it was not an easy thing for Wes to come back that morning and say that everything is clear. Wes was one of those, he, wanted, he was agreed to escape, but he wanted to make sure we had all our bases covered. He figured it, we had one shot at this. If we mess up, and the guards catch us, they're going to tie us up hand and foot and keep us in a corner of the house. So he had even talked about digging a tunnel all the way from, from the brush into the house. And we figured, we did some calculations, and we figured that it would take about a month to dig a tunnel into the house. And, but we didn't care anymore. We were desperate enough to start even digging a tunnel if that's what it took. So he was in the brush, and unknowing to, to Ryan, 
Melody, his wife, prayed the same prayer. And so he was scouting out there in Ryan's walking laps. And his wife, Melody, was sitting on the, the porch railing right here, combing Sherilyn's hair. And the only comb that the girls had to use during the two months of captivity was a plastic silverware fork. So she was combing out Sherilyn's hair as she sat there. And while she was combing, she related a story that had happened to Ryan's grandparents on his mom's side. They had three handicapped girls. They were mentally and phys physically handicapped. And they wanted to take care of their girls, but they just couldn't anymore. They were getting older. They were now about in their 60s. And the time came when they had to send them off to a mental care facility. And so while they were there, one of those girls was raped by a male staff member multiple times. And eventually there was a, a lump growing in her chest and the, the hospital found this and they thought it was cancerous. So they did CAT scans or x-rays or whatever they had to do there. And they found there's, she's pregnant. And she was a tiny little lady. She weighed 60-something pounds, was bedfast. And the hospital called, called uh, the grandparents there and the, her parents, and they said, it's important. We have to come out and talk. And so they drove out to their place, and they sat around the kitchen table, and they said, look, your girl in the hospital is pregnant. She's six months along. And they said, look, all they said there's not even a chance that this child is ever going to be normal. Here's the papers. All you have to do is sign right here. We'll take care of the abortion. Oh, it took faith. It took faith. They had known what it was like to have three handicapped children. And here was another one coming along in their old age. Is what they thought. And even before he, Grant was born, uh, his, the, one of the uncles stepped in and offered to care for the child. And Grant Bontrager was born, a normal, healthy baby boy, three pounds, six ounces. And he was a fighter. He was fighting to live. And the man who had committed the crimes, he was realized he was found out, and he turned himself in, and he served a sentence in prison, a month less than 10 years. And I met Grant Bontrager just recently at one of our reunions. And today he's this tall, muscular, healthy man. He's, he's six foot three inches. It's flipped around from his pounds and ounces that he, that he weighed during, during at birth there. But just the redemption. Grant has a powerful testimony one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard, and just the work that God has done in his personal life, too. So, as, as Ryan was walking those laps, he felt like God was just telling him, Ryan, I want you to take the same step of faith that your grandparents took when they chose to accept this child. And it just shook Ryan up. He couldn't even believe that God would ask him even compare our escape to the step of faith that his grandparents took when they, they chose to accept that child. 
And uh, so Wesley Yoder came back out of the brush that morning with a big smile on his face. And he said, you know what? I think we can do it. And we were gathered together there now for the, 12, the 1 o'clock prayer meeting. And Ryan said, hey, before we pray, I have something I have to share. And he shared that story of Grant Bontrager. And he said, I feel like God wants me to take my family out of here. And he said, look, it's up to you. He said, you don't have to come along. There's no pressure. He said, I feel like the, the guards, the threats that they made aren't, aren't valid. He, I feel like it was just a threat. The guards had told us in clear terms, if you escape and we catch you, we're going to kill you. If part of your group escapes and we, we the ones who are remaining, we're going to kill them. If you escape and get away, our leader is going to kill us. And Ryan said, I don't think that's valid. He said, I, I feel like you're more valuable to them alive than you are dead, but it's up to you. I feel like God is calling me to take my family out of here. And as we shared there, he, he said, I, I feel like the good, next good opportunity you know, we need to just take a step of faith and allow the results up to God. And does it take a lot of faith? Somehow, I don't think it does. Jesus said that faith the size of a grain of mustard seed can move mountains. How big is a grain of mustard seed? It's the tiniest seed on planet Earth, one of the tiniest seeds. What it does take, however, is a simple childlike faith. It takes an utter reliance on our Heavenly Father, allowing the results up to Him. We didn't know what would come out of that situation, but we were just ready to place our lives on the line and trust our lives into our Heavenly Father's care. And so we were sharing together there, and he said, what do you think? He said, it doesn't have to be tonight, but at the next good opportunity. He said, most likely the generator's not going to be running during our escape, but Next opportunity, we're ready to go. And as we shared there, he said, what do you think? Let's open it up. Let's hear from you. And I talked next, and I said, yeah. I felt for a long time like God just wants us to take a step of faith and allow the results up to him. And so we all shared together there. And finally, finally, for the first time, we were all united in faith. And there's power in unity. There's power in a collective faith. Finally, we were fighting the same battles. And we were excited. It felt like the escape had happened before, it, before we even were finished planning. And we were all making plans there. How would we do it? And this door, this back door right here, was like an old barn door. It, had, it was nailed nailed together with cross pieces, and it had a small crack at the bottom half of the door, about a half-inch crack. And we figured if we take a stick inside the house, hopefully we could poke through the, that crack and push the rock away from the door. And we were packing the bags. We packed the wallets and everything into a bag, and we were just making preparations, and we were rejoicing. 
And that evening, when the witch doctor brought in our, our evening supper meal of rice and beans, Wes got up to go and remind him about the oil again. But then he stopped. He felt like God was just telling him, it's all under control. You don't have to worry about anything. And so he sat down again. And some of us, including me, reminded him. We were like, hey, Wes, what do you think? Aren't, aren't you going to remind him about the oil? And he said, well, I was going to, but I committed it to God. And we were okay with that. We just felt like if this is going to happen, God has to be involved in this. And so we left it at that. And that evening, we moved the couches to the back side. They had brought us some couches, and we moved them to the back side for our evening devotional. We figured it would be, hopefully, that would encourage the guards to sleep over here on this side during the night. They would sleep on the couches and sleep. I mean, they would doze off, and they were supposed to be awake, but some of they would bring in the night guards, and some would sort of doze off, and some were awake. But the chief of the guards, he was very vigilant. He would keep a close watch. He, he drank alcohol and he smoked cigarettes, but he didn't do drugs like the other guards. And during the night, he would often rouse the guards and say, hey, get out there and do your job, you know, do your work, get to work. And so they would walk laps around the house and, and uh, shine lights. And, and this night... The night of our escape was no exception. They did, he did the same thing. Hey, get out there and do your job, you know. And, and, uh, but we wouldn't have even had to move those couches over there on that side of the house. God was already putting all the details in place. And that evening, there was one of the most beautiful sunsets we had seen up until this time. Earlier that day, there were no clouds in the sky. But now the storm clouds were rolling in. And the, the sun shone in through the clouds, and it was just gorgeous. And we sang the song, Is that the light of home I see? Do I feel a breeze from the crystal sea? Is that the Lord standing high on heaven's balcony? If that's the light of home, it's a welcome sight to me. And I remember that as being one of the most intense moments of our captivity. It felt like a breaking point. It felt like we were either going to our eternal heavenly home or to our physical earthly homes, and it didn't matter which. And we were rejoicing. And that night it rained just a little bit, and we were wishing for more rain, but God had all the details in place. So the guards shoot us into the house early that night, and we were in there. And it was very unusual, but about 8.30 or 9 o'clock that evening... Typically, the witch doctor wasn't in sight after the evening meal. He typically went home. But that night, he opens the door, and he stands in the doorway, and he says these words, Pagen Luil, there's no oil for the generator. And I was shocked, but I said, well, it'd be kind of nice to have some. And Ryan was there fanning Andre with the paper plate, and Andre was burning another fever. And we said, yeah, the be nice if the children would, you know, it's hot in here. And be nice if the fans would be running. And he stood there for a long time. And suddenly, and he pulls out his phone and dials the second chief's number. And he said, hey, chief, there's a problem. 
The generator's been out of oil for, for two days. Can you have someone bring oil? And we were open-mouthed. It was like God wanted the generator running for us. And next thing you know about it, they had to go all the way to Port-au-Prince to get the oil. But next thing you know, about a half hour or so later, brum, 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 and the generator was fired up and was running. And it wasn't a time to be doubting God. But the next thing I thought, oh no, just watch that generator run out of gas. Gas was a real issue during this time. There was another gang called the K-9 was tying up the gas supplies. And so there was a huge fuel shortage. And gas was costing up to $10 US per gallon. And the generator had often run out of gas. But I just prayed, oh God, just keep the generator running. And sure enough, later on that night, And it's like the generator's just running rough. And I don't know. I I feel like it was probably just my imagination. But the generator was running really, really rough until we were out of there. And I could just picture an angel out there just putting more gas in. But I, I don't know. It was probably my imagination. But it was running really rough. And so anyway... Later on that night, we had planned for a time frame between 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the night. We figured hopefully that would give us time to get out to the road while it's still dark during the nighttime. And we were making last-minute preparations. Who would be out the door first? Who would be next? Who would be next? And you were, you, you were to watch out for the person in front of you and the person behind you. That was your responsibility to look out for that person. And we packed water bags and just making final preparations. And most of us didn't sleep very well that night, but I think I actually dozed off. And they woke me up at 1 o'clock. And I stood up, and my legs felt like jelly. I could hardly even stand there. I was shaking so bad. And we started spying on the guards, looking out through the cracks. And the guards had the radios blaring, and they were, they were talking. And, and I was hoping this would just be a quick, easy escape. I was hoping, boom, 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 and we'd be out the door. But it was not to be. There was so much last-minute preparation. I thought we had all these details in place. But it was like we were talking and stirring around in there. And I don't know, but it... It seemed like the guards sensed that something was going on because they were on high alert. There was, there was a guard with a light that was shining a light, and he came around the corner, and, and they were just walking around there. At one point, there was a, a guard changeover, and, and time is ticking away, and this is now probably 1.15 or 1.30, and... We heard, Wesley Yoder heard one of the guards. We had nicknamed him Mr. Attitude. And he had earned his nickname. He had a very bad attitude. Wes heard Mr. Attitude say these words in a very disgusted tone of voice. Mue santi bonje. I feel God. And if a guard like Mr. Attitude said, I feel God, I know, in fact, he did feel God because God's presence was right there with us. 
So we were just looking around and, and spying on the guards. And finally, they kind of settled down a little bit on the front porch. And we figured this is our moment. And so they poked that stick through the crack in the door. And thunk, the rock fell away from the door. And you know how it is when a, a substance, heavy substance hits the ground? Well, it vibrated the house just a little bit. And then Brandon, the 15-year-old, thought there was a sliver of wood with a nail gone through it. And he thought if he pulls this sliver of wood away, he can spy out through the crack a whole lot better. So he pulled that sliver of wood away. And it made a little screech. It was like, screech? You know how a sound of a nail coming out of wood? It made a good little screech. And it alerted the chief of the guards. It alerted the guards. And the chief came, came around the side of the house and he stood there in front of that door and did a good inspection at the door for a minute or so. And Sherilyn saw him in through the cracks, through the crack there, and she, she said, there he is, it's Ping, it's the chief. And we hit our beds so fast. It was like we wanted everything to look normal. And we were sure he was going to come in the front door and just call us out for an attempt at escape. But nothing happened. And he eventually he went and sat down on the front porch. And by this time, it was, it was nearing 2.30. I mean, our time for escape was just running out. And... I thought, you know what, this just isn't the night. I mean, God just obviously isn't blessing this. I mean, it, it's just not going to work. Because he was a, they were on high alert, and he had seen the, I thought he had seen the rock, but apparently God had blinded his eyes. And so we all went back to bed. They put the children back to bed, and Ryan and Melody, Ryan started sleeping, I believe, and we were ready to just give it up. And Austin was still at the door, and I decided, you know what, one last call. I'm going to go and talk to Austin one, one more time before we completely give this up. And I got up and I went over to Austin and I said, hey, Austin, what do you think? Should we just give it up like he saw the rock or, or whatever? And I could not believe my ears. That was a moment I will never forget as long as I live. Austin was one of those he was not agreed to attempt an escape up until this point up until nearly our time of escape. And he said, you know what? God blinded his eyes. Let's go. He didn't see the rock. I said, you know what? You're right. Let's do go. And so I went back and, and I roused Ryan. I said, hey, Ryan, what do you think? Should we give this another try? And Ryan said, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll give it a try. And he, they pick up the children and they whimpered just a little bit, not too much. And by this time, they're already working the door, and, and Wes was, Wes, they were able to, to push on that prop through the crack, the stick. They pushed on the prop and held it away, and they op slowly opened the door, and Wes grabbed the prop and moved it to the side, and, and now he's outside, and he took a look this way, and there were no guards in sight, and he went into the outhouse and pulled back the tarp, and he took a look this direction. And there were three guards sitting right here in these chairs playing on their cell phones. Those guards were wide awake during our escape. And so he went back into the, close to the outhouse area to see if they, they would be able to see 
our point of entry into the brush. And he thought it was really, really close, but not quite. And so he came back and said, all clear. And we filed out the door, single file. And Dale and I were the last ones out the door. I gra- we closed the door. I grabbed the rock. We put it back in place. Dale grabbed the prop, put it on the door. And we had made some mannequins, like ruffled up the sheets inside the house to make it look like people were laying in the beds. Hopefully, they would think that they're people if they shine in through the cracks. And now we were out right behind the last person. We hardly missed a beat. And now we're in the brush. And you can only imagine what it sounds like for a group of 12 people, men, women, and children, to walk through the brush. It sounded like a herd of deer was going through it. There were vines everywhere, and there were twigs. We were cracking twigs beneath our weight, and we were scared. Our hearts were pounding, but we were just taking a step of faith. I I thought surely there would be gunshots. We were ready to hear gunshots ringing out, ready to hear the guards yelling at us. Nothing happened, and so we kept right on going, and we got out to this irrigation ditch, and we had planned to just slosh right through, but the I, I was actually able to jump the whole way across. It was fairly wide. It was about six feet wide, and I jumped across, and I kept on running. But then I looked behind me, and I realized, oh, no, the girls aren't making it. So I ran back, and I said, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. We were still within about earshot of the guards. And finally, I see they're not making it, so I just stepped right into the mud and debris with my with my shoe and got all wet and just reached across and pulled them across and finally we're now all across and we're in out in the open fields just praising God with every step freedom had never felt so good we were thank you lord thank you lord thank you lord with every step of the way just praising God and we we got up to large villages and good-sized Haitian villages, and we would just stop and pray before we entered the village. Lord, please keep the dogs quiet. Keep the animals quiet. Don't let, any, don't let anyone see us. And we'd walk straight through the villages without hearing a dog barking. And how that's possible, I don't know, unless you're God. And God was just with us every step of the way. And we, we got up to this lake, and, and we walked around the lake, and now we got into the thicket. And it was one of the worst prior patches I had ever seen. It was walls of cactus plants. They were three times as high as we were. And we got lost in the thicket. And we would just cry out, Lord, help us. Lord, get us out of here. And we would painstakingly pick through and stop every couple steps and pull large thorns out of our shoes and crocs and footwear. And... We wanted, we needed the stars, but we, we were covered in brush to, I didn't know how to follow stars, but thankfully Austin and Wesley knew how to find the North Star, and we needed to go in a northwest direction, and so we hiked on out of there, and we wound up up here in this area, and it's a long story, I don't have, have time to cover all those details, but um, Finally, we were out to safety, and we were able to make a phone call, and um, there we were. Phil and Barry came to pick us up, and uh, just rejoicing to be free at last. God had delivered us, and, and here's a picture of us there at the 
CAM base after we arrived there. And finally, we were free, and freedom had never felt so good. We didn't have much time to pack up. We had like an hour or so to pack our bags, and we packed up, and they took us lights and sirens to the, to the airport, and they notified the FBI, and they came out with police, and there we were, and we even got to have a ride in the cockpit of the airplane there. And here's the group at the hotel, and what a change to go from being in a gangster camp in Haiti to a beautiful hotel in Miami, Florida in less than 24 hours' time. And we just give God all the honor and glory, and we just thank you for your prayers. They mean so much to us. <clears throat> what does the future hold? I don't know. Will Cam send missionaries back to Haiti? Yeah, I'm not sure, but God knows. And one thing we do know is that the work of prayer is not over. Pray for the gangs. Pray, that, pray for their salvation, that they would come to Jesus. Pray that they would turn from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And I believe it's possible. In closing... Are you still kidnapped? Does Satan have chains on you? All throughout the Old and New Testaments, you can hear the heart cry of God. Come and return unto me, you backsliding daughter. Come unto me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today, if you're still holding back, what is holding you back from entering and experiencing the wonderful heavenly riches that are only found in Jesus Christ? You don't have to continue down a bitter road of disappointment, fear, and anguish. You don't have to continue in sin. Lay down your life on the altar today in complete surrender. Oh, precious children in Christ, why linger at a distance from God? Draw nigh to Him. Yea, what seekest thou, my Lord? Draw near, so very near to Him, and dare to pray. But don't come with the flag of faith only at half-mast. Come and let your soul sing Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Come, knowing that the armor of faith will protect you as you walk through the fiery furnace of tribulation. Come, knowing that your shield of faith will guard your heart against the devil's darts of doubts. Come, knowing that his arms are outstretched, his ear is welcome, welcoming your cry. Come, knowing that prayer is the pulley. That moves the arm of God with power. Come, knowing that as you are running to him, as you are walking to him, he is running to you just as the prodigal son ready to welcome you into his arms. Come, boldly come. The king desires audience with thee. Let the sweet incense of holy love rise from the altar of your heart and pray. May God bless you. Thank you for coming and thank you for inviting me to share what the Lord has done for us. May God bless. I'll turn the time over to brother.
Thank you, Sam. I was blessed by being here this evening, and God bless you as you continue your journey, Christ. I thought I saw this week somewhere in the news that the uh, leaders in trial somewhere in the United States. Is that true? Yeah, that's right. It's the, the man who they were try, um, trying to have his release from prison. He's, he's a, he used to be a senator in the Haitian politics. Okay. And, um, yeah, so they now, they're charging him for, for our kidnapping and for arms, gun trafficking. So it's the one that they were trying to get released. Yeah. So the one back at camp with you, is they never captured him or anything then? Not that I know Okay. Of, no. All right. Well, we need to pray for him. He's still, he's, at, they're actually the ones that are kidnapped, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Amen. And we're released, right? Yeah. yeah. So what's his name? Wilson Joseph. Wilson Joseph. Okay, let's stand for prayer. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. We thank you for this group in Haiti that was released and freed. Thank you for their testimony and their story. But you Lord, know, Lord, that the miracle in my life and those, the rest of here that have been released from the kidnap of sin is a far greater miracle than any that can be performed in this earth. And I thank you for that, Lord. And we pray for those maybe in this group that are still being kidnapped, they're still under the bondage of sin, aren't finding real freedom in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would cause them to realize it's not that hard, that you will guide them through that time of redemption, repentance, and salvation. And I pray, Lord, that they would experience that, moving those lives of those here tonight that need that freedom. We think of Joseph, uh, the one that the leader in his group, Lord, that really is kidnapped, and the power of Satan's hands, Lord, was just so sad. I pray, Lord, that they would find freedom from the grass of Satan, and that they would find freedom and from their kidnapped, and that they would find Christ someday. Lord, we don't really feel like this story of redemption is over yet, that you have a greater story yet to reveal in the lives of those that are kidnapped. And I, Lord, you can plan that, and I pray for that. Give Christian aid and other ministries, Lord, wisdom in knowing how they should get back into the country of Haiti and how they should help the country there. I pray, Lord, that we would listen to your call. If it's us, Lord, I pray we'd be willing to go back. And Lord, I just pray for the country of Haiti. Lord, they need salvation. They need the word of God. They need your love poured out upon them. They're in such a disarray. We pray for that country, Lord. We pray for the Christians that are there. Lord, help them to be a light testimony to those that are in the grasp of Satan. Help them to know how to witness to them. Help us, Lord, to leave this place more determined to give your word out to those around us. To help people out of the grasp of kidnap and find Jesus Christ and freedom from their sins and their clutches, Lord. You brought us here as ambassadors to do that, to be men of restoration and to bring people into restoration and restoring. Take us home to our homes as different people. Just pray to give us a safe trip home. We pray all this in your name. Amen. <laughs>